Hi guys and welcome back to the Female Fitness Podcast. So today I have the pleasure of being joined by Amy who is also an online coach and previously a one-to-one personal trainer as well and I think the last time we saw each other was at an in-person practical workshop so like I have always known Amy as being someone who's been really into furthering her education which is really refreshing to see another coach who is that way so Amy could you just give everyone a little bit of an introduction to what you do and how you got into the fitness industry yeah of course so first I want to say thank you for having me on because it it is genuinely a pleasure and I think we align in so many aspects in terms of like being huge nerds that constantly want to educate ourselves and kind of level up for ourselves and for clients Um, My health and fitness journey started roughly when I was about 17. Um, I started to want to lose weight after years of kind of being considered the overweight friend. Um, And I did it in a very unhealthy way because I just Googled the best way to lose belly fat, essentially, when I was that young. Um, Followed whatever came up online and it very quickly developed into an eating disorder. That then spiraled with exercise addiction and just becoming obsessed with the way that I looked, certain areas of my body, food, calorie counting everything like that. So it kind of sparked a huge obsession for me, but in a healthy way, a huge passion to learn as much as I physically could about female physiology, exercise mechanics. And then I changed my degree to specifically study that um, and just kind of turned into a rabbit hole of just becoming, becoming obsessed with essentially learning about it, but with the main focus of not allowing another woman to go through what I went through because of the misinformation that was out there. Um, And it just led me to kind of follow into my passion where I started off mainly in one-to-one personal training, I think very similar to yourself. Um, And now I'm specializing in binge and emotional eating. So more around the area of relationship with food, relationship with exercise, things like body image, self-confidence. So more of a kind of holistic and deeper understanding into why people struggle with food to help them really get to the root cause so that they can stop like binge eating, comfort eating, all the things that can typically stop people from getting to their health and fitness goals, really getting to like the root cause of everything. Yeah. And do you work fully online now? Yeah. 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 Completely online. Do you feel like just out of interest before we get onto the topic, do you feel like your time as a one-to-one personal trainer positively contributed to your skill set as like a coach now? hundred percent. I think I did it a weird way around because I was still at uni when I was starting up my business. So I actually started online, then started to become a one-to-one in-person personal trainer and then have ventured back into online again. Um, So I think a lot of people do originally start off with one-to-one PT and then go straight into the online, but I had a kind of a version of what it was like in the beginning stages. But I think for me personally, you can't beat being able to really talk to someone face-to-face and be able to like really open up with people. You probably have experienced this yourself. Oftentimes it's like a psychotherapy session where it's just like, everybody brings their kind of struggles because it all relates so much into health and fitness, like the workspace, relationships. So being able to really understand people and understand people's mindset enables you to have such a deeper understanding of how people's minds actually work, not just from what we've individually gone through, but also like as a global collective as well. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And so for today's podcast, what I wanted to talk to Amy about is why it's important to be compassionate towards yourself when you're working to progress, whether that be um, personally, professionally, but mostly from a body composition perspective. And 
doing that rather than working to change from a place of hate towards yourself or shame. And I thought that this would be a really important topic to cover right now because obviously we are approaching Christmas. A lot of people have a lot of social occasions around Christmas, Christmas parties, um, and Christmas Day itself can be quite daunting for people and can sometimes bring about those feelings of guilt and shame and can lead to people setting themselves potentially goals in the new year from quite a negative space really so overeating at christmas is quite common should people feel any sort of guilt for this and if not do you have any advice for people on how they might go about tackling an initial feeling of guilt if that arises yeah it's such a good question because it's something that i've struggled for years as well i used to binge eat i used to secret eat i'd put all the wrappers into my neighbor's bin so my mum couldn't find them like i've gone through the entire spectrum when it comes to relationship with food and the feeling of guilt or shame that you can get after overeating is just all consuming to the point that it feels like it just takes over your entire mindset um firstly you do not need to feel guilty for enjoying holidays or enjoying social occasions or birthdays celebrations like that is all part of a healthy lifestyle because health isn't just what we eat or how we exercise it's our socialization our mental health our enjoyment all of those things still come together as part of the healthy lifestyle um, and i think something that's important to mention as well in terms of food guilt specifically is it is nothing to do with food and it often obviously it comes with what we've eaten but you can have three different people who each eat an entire pizza for example one of them would feel absolutely fine they'd feel normal they'd feel neutral the other might feel like oh i've probably eaten a little bit too much and the other person could go into a spiral of huge amount of guilt and then restricting the next day so i think that that just highlights that it actually has nothing to do with the food that we've eaten but our mindset around that food and it's very common to think the guilt then needs us to change something more practical such as the food element or i need to overexercise the next day Whereas what we actually want to come in with is the mindset tools to be able to really navigate that because eating, even if you ate 6,000 calories in one meal over Christmas, which isn't likely to happen anyway, but even if you were, that meal in isolation is not going to cause any negative detriment. It's our response to that meal that is going to keep us in that spiral for potentially days or weeks afterwards because we feel guilty, we beat ourselves up, we continue to binge because we think, fuck it, what's the point? I've already done it anyway. And it's the, the consequence of that one specific meal that can cause the detriment rather than the meal itself. So it's much about really managing our mindset after a specific meal. Um, and in terms of helping with the guilt as well, something that I always use as a kind of, it is tangible and practical, but it's also when it comes to mindset areas, it's a little bit difficult to see it tangibly because obviously it's all up in the mind, but really try and zoom out. If you think of your life over the 365 days of the year, zoom out and just see how small those first kind of few days or weeks over Christmas are in the grand scheme of things. Because often when we are in that moment, we're really hyper-focused on, oh my God, I've just eaten so much. And it makes us only feel like we're trapped in this little bubble of I've overeaten, I'm going to gain weight and the fear that comes with that for a lot of us. So zooming out and looking at, okay, well, it's, it's two weeks, even at max over the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't make a difference. As long as you continue to feel yourself, do your normal routine, not change a single thing for the days after, you'll notice and your brain will gain evidence that nothing bad comes from doing that, which will help in the future as well. Yeah. I think what can sometimes help people as well is like just to gain some perspective, asking yourself, 
will this will what's happened you know this overeaten episode will that matter in like a month's time or even like a year's time and then you're like oh actually will I even remember this one day in like even a month's time probably not exactly exactly the thing that helped me quite a lot as well when I was initially improving my relationship with food is imagining my 60 year old 70 year old 80 year old self because I used to turn down meals with my dad because I didn't know what was in the food. I used to turn down social occasions, not go out for drinks with my friends. And it clicked with me one day where I was like, I'm going to look back when I'm 70 and look back on my life and think, I wish I would have just gone out for that meal. Like, I wish I just would have enjoyed myself and not cared about gaining a pound or two the next day. And it just helps to kind of reevaluate things in the moment, not to the point of living in the future. You still obviously want to keep yourself in the present, but to the point of using the future as a reference to make the decisions that you want to make in the present yeah and do you have any sort of like do you know when these initial feelings of guilt arise for people because sometimes you know you can't really almost it's hard to choose whether you feel those feelings or not sometimes I think for some people it just happens when those initial feelings arise do you have any tips for people like in that moment on what they could do to help manage that feeling yeah 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 so I think it's it's useful to mention that guilt is often a sign that we've violated a belief that we have in some way or a value. And often these beliefs aren't ours. They're often from diet industry, for example. So if we've grown up with the belief that eating chocolate will make me gain weight and gaining weight is bad because diet industry and diet culture has told us that it is, the second we eat that chocolate, it's going to link back to that belief that, oh my God, I'm going to gain weight. And then that's where the guilt can set in. So in those moments, it's just about breathing, first of all, because your body will automatically be in a stress response whenever you're guilty or feeling guilty, I should say. And then just reminding yourself, okay, check in with yourself. And that thought will likely come up. The thought that's telling you to feel guilty, the thought that's trying to get you to restrict the next day or go out for a jog or go out for a run. Those thoughts are normal to pop in because we've had diet culture telling that those things for the last 10, 20, 50 years in some cases you can be the one that then challenges that and go, okay, give yourself compassion, give that side of yourself that believes all of these things to be true, that same compassion, instead of beating it up and saying, why are you thinking that I shouldn't be thinking this? It's stupid. I know that it's not going to like cause me to gain weight. We might know that all logically, but emotionally, because it's been embedded for so long, our emotions still don't necessarily believe it. So treat that part of you with the same compassion that you would do with any other part of you and look at it from perspective of, okay, I recognize that you're fearful of potentially gaining weight. I know that restricting isn't necessarily going to help me. So I'm going to choose to do a different decision. And it's hard in that moment, but it's just about making the decision from a place of clarity instead of a place of what these conditioned beliefs are that we've been grown up, like been brought up with for years. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I think that's really useful for people. And so Could you explain why it might actually be detrimental in the first place for someone to feel this guilt for occasions like these where they might have overeaten or even like in some circumstances, if people haven't overeaten, but they might have just eaten different foods to what they're used to, what they have rules against. So when people feel this guilt, why can that actually be detrimental in itself? Yeah, yeah. Because I think a lot of us have have believed that I need to hate myself into change. Like if I don't hate myself, then I'm not going to feel motivated to change something. But that makes sense logically, but it doesn't always pan out that way because whenever we feel guilt around something, that negative emotion or that uncomfortable emotion 
only then makes us want to turn to our coping mechanisms, which for a lot of us is food. So we'll notice that nine times out of 10, when we feel guilty or self-hatred, we don't want to go to the gym. We don't want to go and eat a delicious meal that we've home prepped and all of these like good, respectful things for ourselves. We want to either self-sabotage in the form of binge eating or turning to food again, or just staying on the couch and feeling sorry for ourselves or the opposite end where we want to go to extremes and we want to start restricting and overeating, which then can just spiral back around again. So when you experience those uncomfortable emotions, they're not always as motivational as we believe them to be. They often cause us to do the complete opposite and keep us stuck in that spiral of shame. Um, and a lot of us as well have the goal of losing body fat or losing weight to feel more confident, but confidence is a skill. So if we're practicing the skill of self-hatred to try and achieve more confidence, it's just counterintuitive. We're just going to end up with improving the skill of self-hatred rather than improving the skill of self-love, self-appreciation, self-respect and self-confidence. So the bare kind of minimum of self-love and self-appreciation is just the way that you speak to yourself in terms of when you have eaten something, can you recognize, okay, I don't necessarily feel great about it. I don't love the fact that I have done it, but I recognize that I'm a human and I can learn from it and it doesn't mean anything about me rather than kind of getting trapped into the cycle of I'm such a bad person what is wrong with me I shouldn't have done that I've ruined everything catch those thoughts and reframe them to be okay I made a mistake I'm a human I'm allowed to move on to the future into what I can control yeah and if someone is reframing those thoughts do you find tools like journaling can sometimes be helpful to get them out like on paper 100% when we're in our own head it's so difficult to think logically with things because thoughts will just spiral and we don't even recognize them all the time um journaling is amazing and not only just in terms of getting everything out it's almost like a cathartic release but nine times out of ten as well when it's written down you'll read it and you'll see where there's kinks in it you'll see where okay that doesn't actually make as much sense as I thought it did or oh I can see why that's not as logical as I thought it was and it gives you the perspective of being able to share your ideas like you would do with a therapist or the coach, for example, but without needing to feel like a burden. Cause a lot of my clients do feel like they talk to their, their friends or family quite a lot with it. And they feel guilty for doing that, which then just adds to the guilt, obviously reach out to somebody, reach out for support. But if you do feel the need to just try and manage it yourself, journal is incredible just to be a little bit more objective with things. Yeah. I personally find journaling a really useful tool. Like even if it's not dealing with, uh, guilt around food because I don't generally tend to feel that even if it's just for processing my thoughts around other aspects of life like it's something that I really really benefit from and I think a lot of people do in a lot of different areas of life and if someone is in this negative headspace and they feel this guilt and shame towards themselves and they feel the urge to set themselves goals whilst they're in that headspace would you recommend that they try and tackle those negative emotions towards themselves before they go on to set themselves goals? Or would you say that it's doable to work on that headspace whilst they're progressing towards, say, fat loss, for example? Yeah, I think you can definitely do both at the same time. Um, but I think it is important to initially set your goals from a place of self-compassion and self-respect. Because oftentimes when we're first going into a health and fitness journey, it's based on so much shame so much guilt that it's a very extreme approach with things so for example if i've just over consumed food over christmas and then i'm like okay well i need to lose this 10 pounds by next week it's automatically setting us up to fail because if we don't lose that we're then going to feel more guilt more shame more disappointment again 
and it's going to keep that spiral going. So if you're in much more of a clear headspace, which journaling can help with, because it's just putting everything out on a piece of paper, getting out that initial kind of emotion so that you can think a little bit more clearly, you'll recognize, okay, what are my goals? How do I want to feel rather than how do I want to look or how much weight do I want to lose? How do I want to feel? How do I want to operate? What are my values? All of those things together you'll notice that you're setting yourself up for so much more long-term success compared to coming from this place of pain. Because initially, if there's so much guilt that comes up and you are most likely hating your body in that moment, most likely picking yourself apart, focusing on areas that you don't like, that's a lot of motivation for a very short period of time where it's like, I need to get rid of this belly. I need to get rid of this body. But then the second you've got rid of that guilt, there's nothing else to keep you motivated. So that's where people get stuck is they feel that kind of initial pain as that motivator to keep going and keep pushing. But the second they start to feel more comfortable and confident again, they've now no longer got that same pain as the driving force to keep going. And then that's where people stop and they start again and it becomes yo-yo dieting. So if you can come from a place of more clarity, more kind of logical, rational decision-making when your brain's calmed down a little bit more, you'll notice that not only is it longer term, more successful in terms of your happiness, your enjoyment, but it will actually get you to where you want to be because your motivation will come from a completely different place. Yeah. Do you also find it helpful to help um, with people's sort of mindset towards the process of going about body composition change to set them goals outside of their body composition related goals as well, such as goals with training performance or fitness levels and things like that? A hundred percent, a hundred percent, because especially as a woman, our body is going to change every single week. And if we, if our body and our weight on the scales is the only thing that's used as like a marker of progress, we're just going to constantly feel disappointed because we're going to constantly feel like everything's changing and it's not in our control. Whereas the more kind of process orientated goals, such as am I getting stronger? Is my energy levels better? How's my relationship with food? How's my self-talk? What is my consistency like? All of these things, they're boring. They're not the thing that sells. That's why companies don't use them as the selling point, but they're actually the thing that is going to help you get to where you want to be. Like if you've gone from an all or nothing mindset to being a lot more consistent, that is going to lead to the thing that you want at the other side of it, rather than if you focus on, I need to lose weight as quickly as possible, but you've not worked on the mindset elements, you're going to continue in that yo-yo cycle for the rest of your life. Yeah. I also think it can sometimes help to break things down like logically and scientifically for clients, like give them a basic level of understanding of things like why their scale weight can fluctuate and why their scale weight is not always directly correlated with their levels of body fat, for example, so that they have that understanding and they can rationalize their thoughts a little bit more easily. Is that something that you do with clients as well? 100%. I think we're very similar in that regard because not only do we love the science, but we understand the importance of giving the clients the tools to be independent because a lot of companies and personal trainers and coaches and just kind of more coach orientated fields in general, such as even nutritionists, they don't always necessarily explain why they're doing certain things. And then it means that the client will follow something, but they won't know how to maintain it because they don't have that background knowledge. Whereas like you've just said, then if you just know a little bit of the basics, you don't need to know the in-depth science and the neurochemicals and everything involved with every single thing going on in your body, but the basics of things will help you to be able to manage your mindset 10 times more. And it's the same with things like binge eating as well. 
I go into a little bit of the theory of why we binge, what's happening in the brain when we do binge, because then it makes people automatically feel less guilty because they recognize, oh, it's not that I'm broken. It's just that my brain's doing this for this reason. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And automatically then that understanding alone will help you to feel so much less shame because you recognize it's not about you being a bad person or not having any self-control or willpower. It's just quite literally the brain, the way that your brain's functioning in that moment. Yeah. I think honestly, like educating clients throughout the process, at least on a basic level, like you said, it doesn't need to be anything crazy. It doesn't have to be rocket science, but that can be such a useful tool. And that's another reason I got you on the podcast because I knew that you were sort of passionate about that. And um, it's sort of a bit of a pet hate when people coach people through a process, but literally give them zero understanding. So when they're at the end of that process, they just therefore feel lost. So I'm so glad we're on the same page with that. Yeah. And going back to the sort of feelings and guilt and shame when someone does have an overeaten episode, this can obviously lead to a tendency to either over restrict from a nutrition perspective or do extra expenditure to try and quote unquote make up for the overeating episode. Could you explain to everyone why this actually might be quite detrimental? Yeah, 100%. And I first want to say as well, if you have kind of followed this tendency to restrict or overeat after a binge, it's not your fault because essentially that is all over Instagram nowadays. Like one cookie equals 300 burpees or this amount of food equals this amount of exercise to burn it off. And not only does it ruin our relationship with that food, but it also starts us to make us see exercise as a punishment, which is the complete opposite of what we want to view it as. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. It ruins our relationship with both of them. Um, The thing is, when we understandably have this mindset of, oh my God, panic mode, I need to restrict, I need to make up for it, is it might feel less uncomfortable in the short term because we feel like we've got a control of things, but it leads to a much more likely scenario of us binging again in the future. Because if we've continued to restrict, we're starving, our blood sugar's low, those two enough are a trigger for another binge. And we just continue that cycle. So in the short term, although it feels uncomfortable to think, okay, I know I've just binged, I'm still going to fuel myself today and I'm still going to do my same exercise because the initially the brain will come up with, yeah, but then I'm going to be eating more on top of the binge. So I'm just going to go over my calories and gain weight. Again, it's looking at things from more of a medium or long-term perspective. Yes, you might be eating more in a couple of days compared to if you were just to restrict the next day, but you will actually be much more likely to not binge in the future again and keep everything at a much more kind of sustainable level playing field. Yeah, exactly. And I think on top of that as well, it's important to recognize that if you restrict off the back of an overeating episode, you're, as well as having the tendency to binge psychologically, like you said, your blood sugar is then going to be low. You've not got enough energy to support what you're doing you're probably going to feel quite low in energy as well as low in mood and like you said that's going to increase your your likelihood of overeating again like massively and exactly we need to go about the approach by trying to we're aiming to break the cycle we're not aiming to like try and make up for what has happened we're trying to break that cycle for long-term success Exactly. And it's difficult to see that in those moments as well, because your brain is just initially in, oh my God, panic mode. Um, And that's why I work with my clients on body image as well, because so much of our struggles with food are due to an underlying fear of weight gain. 
and it's looking at okay why do i actually fear that weight gain because it's often not necessarily about the body or about the weight it's about what we've linked that weight gain to in the past um, so whether we've linked it to it means i'm not good enough it means i'm not sexy enough it means i'm not attractive enough whatever it is it's being able to recognize okay again talking to yourself in a very compassionate way i know we're scared of overeating because we think it's going to make us gain weight however i need to break this cycle now so i don't continue with it going forward and it's it's almost having like a very almost like a parenting tone to your voice where it's very like nurturing it's very respectful but it's still quite i know what's best for you i know you want to do this but this is what's actually going to help you in the long term yeah and where do you find that often a lot of those associations come from is it like social media um magazines things like that films very often or do you find it's mostly from or it's commonly from family from childhood and things like that all of them all of them so the the main areas that i always say with clients is we've got the familial setting which is obviously in our upbringing a lot of us have had parents that were also stuck in diet culture so we've seen our mums that have dieted from a young age or our parents that have commented on other people's bodies from a young age a lot of my clients come to me and they've been on a diet from the age of five because their parents thought that they were fat and it it's automatically set in their small brain up to believe that that is the truth when it comes to food and exercise then as we kind of get a little bit older we start having more of society come in where it's social media magazines like you've said victoria's secret models we're looking nowadays that there's starting to be more kind of body diversity coming into it but when we were younger especially it was the exact same kind of body frame exact same skin color exact same race and everything was this is the ideal for beauty this is how you are going to receive love connection adoration admiration all of the things that are actually a psychological need for us we link that physical appearance to obtaining those psychological needs um, and then the third one is our own personal experiences so for example to put it into like a practical kind of um scenario for you i was bullied for my weight during school and i never made the connection until about a couple of years ago that i made the connection anytime i gain weight that means i'm left out i'm isolated and again as a human we have a psychological need for connection for community so that's a very dangerous position for the brain to be in is this sense of isolation. So my brain linked up losing weight equals love, connection, support, community, being good enough to be part of a, of a society. And then anytime I felt the need to gain weight or felt the fear of gaining weight, my brain would spiral into, no, 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 that's a danger zone. You need to do something to lose that weight as quickly as possible. Um, so there's a lot kind of deeper reasons as to why people struggle with food and with body image. And it, really really gets on my nerves when coaches are just like you're just not motivated enough and i'm like oh my god it's nothing to do with motivation like it's so much deeper than that humans are complex like the human brain is complex and it's being able to understand for the individual in front of you what has their brain believed about food exercise in their body that is stopping them from being able to be consistent with those things yeah I think that's a really important point and a really good example as well for people to sort of be able to understand where you're coming from with that. Um, just before we move on to the next question, I think people often get quite confused between what is like a binge and what is actually just overeating. So could mm. you sort of identify the difference between those two things and how someone might identify which one they're struggling with? yeah 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 so the main difference with a binge specifically is a feeling like you're out of control around food so it feels like a lot of 
people, including myself, when I used to binge, it's this feeling that you're out of your body where it feels like it's almost like a, an escape from reality. And then when you come back into your body, you realize what you've done. And then that's where all the guilt and the shame kicks in. So with both of them, there can be feelings of guilt and shame afterwards. But specifically with a binge, it's typically the sense of a loss of control around food, where it feels like you had no ability and almost not even an awareness into what you were doing. It was just kind of an automatic response that you weren't aware of. Um, it's, it can be categorized into the amount of food that you eat, but then it comes the issue that a lot of people will feel like, oh, well, I don't actually have binge eating, so I don't need to seek help because I don't eat that much. So it's for me, it's more the importance is the intention behind it um, and especially the kind of feelings of guilt and shame if you struggle with that in general it's always worth seeking help for because that's going to be very negative on your mental health even if it doesn't technically classify as a binge eating it's still helpful to get advice and support for because that way you're going to be able to help it yeah yeah that makes sense and so we've spoken a little bit about why it's important not to try and work to change from quite a negative headspace where you're feeling a lot of guilt and shame for your actions could you give an example of a client who would have the ideal headspace and attitude towards working to change and that might be fat loss muscle gain i love this question because i think all too often we see somebody on social media that has a certain body type that we like and we think, what do they eat? How do they train? I need to follow that. And I think the question that we want to ask is for the person that you want to be, maybe you want to become the person that enjoys going to the gym, that eats well on autopilot, they don't have to overthink it. It's more, okay, what mindset habits can I adopt to be able to be consistent with that lifestyle? And again, it isn't as sexy as a diet plan or a training plan but it is going to be the thing that helps you to become that person without having to force yourself to constantly be on a diet plan. Um, I think the thing that really emphasizes it for me is the the whole topic of this podcast, which is self-compassion, because there are going to be times that you mess up. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be injuries. uh, There's going to be random holidays that you hadn't prepped for. There's going to be so many different life situations that happen in your health and fitness journey if you are beating yourself up for those happening, that is going to continue the cycle of screw it. I've messed it up. I'm going to go binge. I'll start again tomorrow. And that's when we can get stuck in the yo-yo dieting. Whereas somebody who is a lot more consistent with health and fitness, and it's just part of who they are. They recognize that part of that is also having a social life, enjoying drinks, enjoying social occasions, enjoying Christmas, switching off over Easter, all of those things that constitute as a healthy balanced lifestyle aren't just eating salads every single day and going to the gym five days a week. It's everything in between that as well. Um, The example that I always give as well is I've been on my health and fitness journey for around nine years. I've been to Ibiza four times. I've obviously done five years at uni. So you can imagine the freshers weeks. Like there has been a lot of times that I haven't been perfect with my diet, but it isn't about being perfect. It genuinely is just focusing on that long-term consistency with everything. Um, And I think a big part of that as well, in order to be consistent, is that you actually enjoy it. So you're not coming from this place of, I need to punish myself for eating this because you're never gonna be consistent with something that makes you feel horrible. It's okay, well, moving my body makes me feel this way. I feel great, I feel productive after I've gone to the gym. When I make myself a nutritious meal, I feel more energized, I feel happier, et cetera, et cetera. All of those ways that you get that feeling of fulfillment and that dopamine hit from it is gonna be what helps you to be able to be consistent long-term. 
Yeah. I think as well, a huge contributor to consistency when it comes to nutrition and training is enjoying the way that you exercise. And so many people feel as though they have to do a certain training style or they have to exercise a certain way. They have to get X number of steps in when in reality, there are so many different ways of moving your body and so many different ways of training effectively. And it would serve people so well to find a method that they actually enjoy the majority of the time. Obviously, there's going to be days where you just don't feel like training. But on the whole, we want to be able to enjoy our training and enjoy our exercise as much as we can. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's another mindset skill as well of somebody who is really going to get the most out of their health and fitness is finding that sweet spot and that balance between self-discipline and self-compassion. Because I think there's a kind of scope for practice that is like, you only need discipline, no days off, like we grind, we sleep when we're dead, that kind of approach. And that is not healthy. But on the other end, if we are so self-compassionate to the point that it's like, oh, I don't feel like doing anything today. I'm just going to sleep on the couch every single day. We're going to feel frustrated because we're not achieving our goals. So it's having that blend of the two because self-discipline can also be self-loving as well. It doesn't have to be coming from this place of, I need to push myself into the ground. It can be, okay, I don't feel great, but I've got goals to hit and I know that I'm going to feel better after the gym. So I'm going to get myself there. And it's still from this self-respectful, self-compassionate place. But it's again, it's having that parenting voice inside of us that is, I know what's best for you. You're going to do this because it's going to make you feel better. Give it five minutes. You're going to feel great in the middle of it. Um, And it's finding that balance between the two where we're not obsessed to the point of no days off, killing ourselves into the ground. But equally, we've got that balance to the point where we're not giving up on our goals just because we don't feel like it some days. Yeah. And I think it's important to say as well, like sometimes self-compassion can be like giving yourself a bit of a talking to and Mm. being quite stern with yourself it's not always like oh it's fine like just have a day off like self-compassion can be being stern and giving yourself talking to if that's what is right for you and that's what your goals really are your goals that mean a lot to you if you need a talking to to achieve those goals that really matter to you then that is compassionate Exactly. Exactly. I think it's the the place that it's coming from. If it's coming from a place of you're a piece of shit, you look horrible, you need to get to the gym. That's not going to go down well. Whereas if it's from a place of, I know you don't feel like it, but I know you're going to feel 10 times better, get your ass off this couch and go to the gym. Like that's still a very self-loving type of self-compassion and self-discipline where it's going to have so much more of a better result in the long term compared to coming from this place of like self-hatred, like you've said. Yeah. And if anyone is listening to this that knows that they need to improve their ability to be compassionate towards themselves, are there any practical steps that you would recommend or um, tools that this person could incorporate to help improve their ability to be compassionate towards themselves? Mm -hmm. I think journaling firstly is a great one because I think journaling just helps you to talk to yourself like you're somebody else because oftentimes i say this with clients all the time we wouldn't allow ourselves to talk to a friend the way that we allow ourselves to talk to us and it's often that we beat ourselves up 10 times more compared to somebody else whereas if you're journaling it enables you to talk to yourself with the same kind of nurturing respectful sometimes protective response that you would do with someone else Um, and something that can be really helpful it it can click for a lot of women especially if you're a mum or you're an auntie, or you just know somebody that's younger than you, is talk to yourself like you would talk to a five-year-old version of you. And it's not in a a patronizing tone, but it's in a very, 
protective. I know what's best for you. You're being too harsh on yourself. Mistakes happen. Like when a kid falls over, we don't beat them up for falling over. We say, okay, you fell over, you learn from it, crack on and keep going. And it's that same type of approach that we want with ourselves where it's a very, like I say, respectful, compassionate, nurturing approach in the same time that it's also, I know what's good for you. Staying up for another episode of Netflix isn't going to do you any good. Let's get yourself to bed because that's what's going to be what's best for you. Yeah, I think they're really, really useful tips. And I actually think that this podcast is going to be so beneficial for a lot of people. I really appreciate you joining us today. So where can people find you on social media? What is your email address? So if people want to contact you, they can do let us know. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. I love this topic. And I think it's something that it's so helpful to bring into the health and fitness space, especially now coming into Christmas. Um, so my Instagram is underscore at a, at underscore Amy Pickering. Um, my email address is amy at amy-pickering.com. But you can always just find me on Instagram and just drop me a DM. They're always open. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for everyone who has taken the time to listen. I really appreciate it. And if you do enjoy the content on the Female Fitness Podcast, please do like and subscribe and leave a comment down below. I appreciate you all and I will see you next week. <laughs>